Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, much to the chagrin of our bankroll, as we'll discuss toward the end of the show, the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA championship in six games, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, after scoring 50 points and adorably ordering 50 chicken nuggets the next day, has achieved, for now at least, a near unanimous approval rating, even in these polarized times and in the cesspool that is social media, I couldn't find a negative word about Giannis this week. John, is there anything else right now, person, place, beverage, TV show, et cetera, you can think of that has a near 100% approval rating? Uh, well, I think, Eric, first I have to say that I found another good measure of uh, uh, wagering levels for amateur gamblers and, and knowing when it's too much. You know, I had a minuscule amount on the Suns plus four and a half points. And so I'm going to sweat cover with one minute left and I'm a half point ahead and ultimately lost the bet. But, you know, the whole storyline was spectacular. Uh, maybe it's because I'm from a blue collar family and I've been to Milwaukee more than a dozen times. And I love the city and its people. But this star athlete to this community love affair is absolutely perfect. And everyone knows it, you know, mm-hmm. now setting aside roosters like yourself, of course, who probably didn't watch the end. But uh, anyone who watched the <laughs> stretch run of that game, but then didn't stick around for the entire postgame Bacchanal because you're too sour post about how much money you lost. I think maybe then you bet too much money because I watched about 30 minutes of that post game before I went to bed with a smile on my face, even though I lost a tiny amount of money because the story was that good. But back to your original question, I was starting with pro athletes. Patrick Mahomes is the best answer. Um, hmm. I mean, he does prod the officials for lots of penalty calls and, Normally, I find that really alienating, but somehow I give him a free pass. Uh, it might be because I remember his dad pitching for the Mets, maybe. Who knows? But um, now Mike Trout has no enemies, but he's kind of boring when mm. the most interesting thing people can say about him is that, hey, he's a weather nerd. Not really working there. Uh, Serena <laughs> Williams has a few detractors. Um, yeah. Holy Trinity men's tennis has sort of sh- uh, split the love there, so nobody gets quite to the top. Phil Nicholson is close, but the anti-gambling crowd is not so enamored of him. So uh, you mentioned places. Well, we haven't been anywhere lately, hardly. Uh, beverages and TV shows. We have started retreating to our own separate corners, uh, I'd say, <laughs> back decades, right? So so the answer is Mahomes. Okay, that's a good answer. Some of your other ones, I'm a little, yeah, I'm not even sure they're yeah. above 70%, some of them. But Mahomes, <laughs> Mahomes is up there. Um, yeah. Upset alert, I did stay awake for the whole game six. Wow. Now, I, I did turn it off maybe five, seven minutes into the post-game okay. celebration. Yeah. It was getting a little late, but I did I yeah. did stay up for the whole game yeah. at least. Um, to show you just how polarized a world we are living in, you were the first last week to forward me one of multiple articles breaking down whether Bruce Springsteen says waves or sways in the <laughs> opening line of Thunder Road, leaving Springsteen fans divided. And even Bruce himself seems to be a little bit on both sides of this fence. So so there is, is nothing and nobody that 100% of people will agree on. Um, but I thought about a few that come close. I think Dwayne The Rock Johnson comes close. He, he's, he's highly approved. He might be in that Mahomes category. Um, Pictures of puppies. 
You don't actually have to take care of the puppies and clean up after them. I'm just talking about pictures of them. That's got to be like 99.9% approved. Right? I'm, I'm more of a kitten guy myself, to be honest. Oh, all right. So we have a divide. Never mind. I'm not into kittens. Um, and and of course. <laughs> not, who's not into kittens? I guess pictures of kittens are fine, but I don't like cats or kittens, and I'm allergic. So there's that. Okay. Um, and of course, 100% approval rating. Jeff Bezos. Everybody loves Jeff Bezos. Nobody has a crossword to say about him. The the zero dollars in taxes that he pays or what yes. he's compensating for with his phallic rocket ship. Everyone loves Jeff Bezos. Well, everyone has rallied around uh, a theme with Jeff Bezos uh, this week, I notice. Uh, I don't actually care, but yeah, it's amazing to me. Like, I, I just think this, this like narcissist is going up in space and I couldn't even possibly care less. And then uh, right, you're right. Every, social, every people are going nuts over this like i i don't i don't get it but but yeah approval yeah i don't think he's too high on that number <laughs> no i guess not but in all seriousness congrats to Giannis and the bucks and oh, the yeah. milwaukee fans Fantastic. if, Fantastic. if my team couldn't win it i'm about as non-bitter as i could possibly be that this team did yeah I, i'd say i love the city i love the people the fans are great the crowds have always been great when i went there you know all those years and um they just deserve it they really do and uh it's a great sports town i mean no atlanta hawks was kind of a cute story and trey mm -hmm. young and all that but atlanta is like the worst sports town on earth i mean nobody cares even they win the championship nobody cares uh milwaukee they care they care a lot and so uh i, I mean they've been spoiled with the packers they used to have three home games a year in milwaukee for, for older people remember that um <laughs> so they're spoiled there but they they've only won a couple times so in, in the last 45 years so uh Milwaukee deserves it. It's overdue. Giannis is, I guess he's perfect. What, what, what can you not like about this guy? I mean, yep. at all, there's nothing, there's no downside at all. The guy doesn't even get a parking ticket. So it's a great story. So far. Well, well, the world will turn yeah. on him eventually. Yeah, I'm sure, sure. it always yeah. does. <laughs> right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 152 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 151 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. We know we have a unanimous approval rating, uh, <laughs> but it wouldn't kill you to make it official by clicking that five-star button in the Apple app. And coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by Olympics expert Mike Cantor, who has worked in the past as a researcher for NBC and wrote the lead article on Slate.com this week, pre previewing the Olympics, ranking every single sport that's being played uh, this couple of weeks. Amazing. Uh, we're going to ask Mike about how legal sports betting will impact Olympics coverage, he thinks, uh, how many gold medals the U.S. will win, and what the odds should be on Simone Biles to win the all-around gymnastics gold. But first, it's been a modestly busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. To the 1.36 million people who live in Maine, ranking it as the 42nd most populous state in the nation, we say, if you'd like to bet legally on sports from your home state, sorry, wait till next year. Uh, and this isn't the first time we've had to say this to the people of Maine. You'll recall that mobile sports betting was approved in mid-2019, and then Governor Janet Mills vetoed it in January 2020. Well, the state tried again this year, and last month, the Maine House voted to enact a new sports betting bill. But this week, the Senate adjourned for the summer, and the legislation can't be considered again until January 5th, 2022. <laughs> the big point of debate with this legislation remains the matter of tethering. It started out without a requirement for online sports books to be tethered to a land-based partner, but on the Senate floor, a tethering requirement was added. 
which would seem to limit the number of sports books in the state. The original sponsor of the bill, Louis Lucchini, is opposed to tethering and no longer fully supports his own bill. And so it's not terribly surprising that this hasn't moved swiftly and gotten done in 2021. And Sports Handle's Jill Dorson reports that there isn't even huge confidence that the governor will sign off on this bill if and when it gets to her desk. So John, kind of a mess in Maine. Are you optimistic about 2022 at least? Uh, And how much does what happens in nearby Massachusetts impact whether Maine legalizes sports betting? Well, Eric, I've been to all the New England states and most of the other ones, too, frankly. Uh, my sense is that when Massachusetts sneezes, New Hampshire says it's untight. If anybody says that anymore, I'm not sure. Uh, but Maine doesn't even notice a sneeze. Um, so here's my beef with this authority, really. Uh, the governor has had 18 months to figure out her sentiments on legalizing sports betting. Look, support it, oppose it, support it with specific limitations. I don't care what you choose. Just pick a position and clue us all in, okay? I mean, usually I like to offer a reminder that, look, elected officials have more important things to do than worry about sports betting legalization. But in Maine, I mean, determining the moose hunting schedule, doing a couple of photo ops with lobstermen, settling any feuds among bed and breakfast owning rivals, I guess, maybe a couple other things. I don't think they have that much to do. So it's time, Governor. It's time. (laughs) I wonder if our main listeners will be at all offended by anything you just said. But, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> so I would say Massachusetts is maybe a little more uh, important and, and influential in this than than you're building them up to be. I mean, it is the, the unofficial captain of New England, that state, biggest city, Boston, biggest population. I think if Massachusetts does legalize sports betting, it gets a lot harder for the politicians in Maine to find excuses not to legalize. Um, But this whole thing to me is a reminder to those of us who enjoy sports betting and live in states where it is legal and where we have a wealth of options relatively, don't take it for granted. Uh, You know, in, in Maine, they were inside the five yard line and fumbled. They got the ball back. They were driving again, and then they got sacked and knocked out of field goal range and had to punt. Um, A lot can go wrong with politicians and legislation before it's a done deal. So as a Pennsylvanian with now 13 online sports books to choose from, you're in New Jersey with more than 20 options. We shouldn't take it for granted because more states at this point either haven't brought legal sports betting to their citizens or have brought a half-assed version of it to their citizens. Uh, and, and I feel like the people of Maine should be about as frustrated as any of them. I don't think they are. I mean, half the state uh, probably doesn't even have internet access for their smartphone. Oh, uh, man. So, more more, yeah, more heat being on. thrown at Maine. Wow. And, uh, you know, the bookies I know, um, they might go to Boston. In fact, they are in Boston, but they're not going to Maine. So I don't even know if you can bet on the on the, at the corner bar, you know, uh, on, a, on a game. And they don't have any major sports teams or major college teams. I, I, I don't I don't know. How many people in Maine actually give a crap about betting on sports or sports in general, really? Somewhere in Maine, there is a person who would love to be betting legally on sports and can't. Yeah, and guess. just know that I empathize with you, even if John Brennan doesn't. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Really. <laughs> right. uh, for our second story, let's talk horse racing. Uh, normally, we only focus on the sport when there's a triple crown race or a doping scandal. Uh, but we'll make an exception this week because there were two major race cards in John's home state of New Jersey last weekend. And there were two big races that ended in disqualifications. In the $700,000 feature race in the Meadowlands Pace on Saturday, Charlie May was initially declared the winner, then disqualified for interference down the stretch, making Lawless Shadow the winner. Also on that rainy Saturday during the Haskell Stakes at Monmouth Park, 
Hot Rod Charlie edged Mandaloon in a photo finish, but Hot Rod Charlie was DQ'd for veering into another horse's path, making Mandaloon the winner. All of which is a good reminder to either bet digitally or hold on to your paper bet slips until after the results are made official. Anyway, John, you wrote about both races. What do you make of these DQs? How badly did the weather hamper the events? Uh, And I know you also wrote about riding crop debates and fixed odds possibly coming. So anything to update on those fronts? Well, you know, first, anyone who thought the year 2020 was over for good uh, got a nice reminder. There's more weirdness still to come, apparently. Um, Second, sorry, Charlies. Sorry, listeners, for that one. (laughs) Double Charlie. Uh, Before I forget, the weather uh, wound up being actually pretty good at Monmouth Park and was really lousy at the Meadowlands. Uh, Mm -hmm. Only, you know, 60 miles apart. Uh, Got nice dose of rain in the middle of the Meadowlands pace. Uh, It didn't work out so great. But, you know, HarnessLink.com just put up a wonderful story about Charlie May's owner, Don Tiger. Uh, Yes, some tigers do like horses, apparently. he saved his future. He saved Charlie May's future mother from extermination a few years ago, mm-hmm. and he only has two. He only has one other horse in his stable. Um, so Tiger plans to file a formal protest. Says if he wins it and claims a three hundred fifty thousand dollars first prize, he'll donate to the out of the money horse owners in that race and the rest to charity. Mm-hmm. And he credited his year old son with keeping him grounded amid the heartbreak. Uh, with this stirring quote for me. You look in his eyes, he's pulling my hair. He doesn't know what the hell's happening at the Meadowlands. He has his finger up my nose after the race, and this is all that's good in the world. <laughs> that's, a, that's a classic uh, dad line there. Um, experts say that Charlie May was impeded himself, setting up a bit of a chain reaction. So the sentiment seems mixed on how they could possibly have handled that impossible situation. That's a tough one. As for the other Charlie at, at the Haskell, uh, I texted a friend as soon as the race ended, losing jockey planes, New Jersey's new riding crop restriction rule in three, two, one. Yeah. And I was right. Um, it's odd that NBC did not mention that possible controversy in the immediate aftermath of the race. So I was watching it live. Um, this was an out-of-state jockey and Mammoth Park operator Dennis Drazen reminded me of something on Monday. The original riding crop rule was a total ban, which Drazen and pretty much everybody objected to. Uh, finally, the Racing Commission of the state, uh, you know, fixed that up and said, all right, every jockey gets the riding crop back and they can use it minimally for safety reasons. And so as Hot Rod Charlie veered left, the jockey had a moment to go to the whip for safety reasons. He just didn't. And, you know, Drazen sees that as a tactical error, which I kind of agree with. And overall, as, as Drazen also pointed out, the federal law passed earlier this year that that's supposed to rat, to nationalize issues like this, the, the riding crop. And so everybody's going to be on the same page in 2022. So let's hope so anyway. Uh, last thing is fixed odds. I get so many queries about this on social media. I'm amazed. Um, now, Governor Murphy had a choice of which of these two Jersey mega horse race days to attend, right? They're almost simultaneous, so he couldn't go to both, really. He lives closer to Monmouth Park, yet he slept to the Meadowlands instead, where owner Jeff Corral is not pushing for fixed odds in the way that Drazen is. It's a little odd that this bill uh, for fixed odds uh, betting seemed to stall a bit in Trenton last month, and that Murphy, who's said to be a supporter, has used up about half of his 45-day window to make a decision or to not make one. But my gut tells me it gets signed the next 10 to 15 days, even though there are those in the state horse racing industry worry of fixed odd bets, you know, maybe causing a drop in the more profitable paramutual pool betting. Um, look, if it goes well, the rest of the country will then copy New Jersey, as they tend to do with lots of gambling innovations, and we'll be off to the races, as they say. <laughs> yes. Um, 
So as far as the the riding crop thing, I, I you you hit on the fact that that they're looking into a, a national rule to govern it, and I think that's important. Just a, a consistent rule, get it the same from state to state. Um, you know, as a member of the boxing media, I'm quite familiar with having rules that vary from state to state. There's a a three knockdown rule here, but not here. A, a, an accidental foul rule in place in one state, but not another. Um, so, you know, a single national body overseeing a sport, as long as that body is not corrupt and is helmed by people who know what they're doing and not just random political appointees, that's good for a sport. Having consistent rules from state to state, I think, is uh, very important. Um, the fixed odds thing, um, I've hardly ever bet horse racing in my life. I've done it literally one time. So, I, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but I can't imagine betting without fixed odds. I, um, I, I get why. They, they do it. I, Mike Joyce gave a good explanation to us not too long ago, but just as a better, no way. I, I want the odds that I bet at. I would never place a regular sports bet if the price I'm getting is going to change after I bet it. Yeah, although it's kind of funny. Uh, it tells you the, the real answer is control, because even though there's always talk about, you know, I bet him at five to one and then he went off at three to one. And then in the first stretch, suddenly the board changed and he's two to one. I got screwed. Right. But the opposite happens just as often. You bet him at two to one. Then he's three to one when the race starts. And you're like, oh, that's even better. And then, you know, 10 seconds into the race, the final number goes up on the board. And it's five to one. And then he wins. You, you won at five to one when you thought you had him at two to one. And yet nobody ever talks about that. <laughs> but it's because exactly of your point, which is that even though, yeah, you can get lucky or unlucky, it goes either way. The point is you, you want your number. And yep. sports betting has actually made that more emphatic. So young people go to the Meadowlands uh, racetrack. They go to the FanDuel Sportsbook and they know the number, right? They're betting, you know, on the Giants minus six and a half, whatever. That's their number. It's done. I don't care. There's an injury announced you know an hour later before the game and and the the line moves three points it doesn't matter they have the number it is what it is that's their number and so um you're right so even though it's not necessarily a negative uh overall for betters because they might get lucky and, or unlucky but they just want the number that they think they are betting you know, I yeah it. yeah the, the con control that you said absolutely but also as you point out we all have selective memory we remember the bad <laughs> beats and uh, yes. <laughs> conveniently forget yeah. the good beats sure um, our third and final story this week is a bizarre one uh, and a rare case of WNBA betting capturing headlines this happened last Wednesday night shortly before we recorded last week's podcast but details were still coming in when we recorded in the morning so we held off uh, we're going to talk about it now, though. Uh, David Payne Pernum at ESPN covered the story in some depth. And here's what he reported. Circus Sportsbook in Las Vegas hung an opening line of 248.5 total points for the WNBA All-Star Game, a number that presumed little to no defense would be played, which is usually the case for NBA or WNBA All-Star Games. However, what Circus Sportsbook director Matt Metcalf didn't realize was that the All-Stars were taking this game seriously as a chance to practice for the Olympics as the game pitted the U.S. women's national team against a team of other WNBA All-Stars. So Circa hung a bad line and other books copied it. And it seems one respected better bet the over to throw the sports books off the scent. And then several max bets came in on the under 
and the books had to keep dropping the number until it settled at circa at 195 and a half points, 53 points below where it opened. Uh, Metcalf called the opening number, quote, the worst I ever made. And the game ultimately finished 93 to 85, way under the closing number. Never mind the opening number. Uh, but the bet sizes were limited to a max of $2,000. So the sports book didn't take too big a bath. John, is this a case where the press that sports book got out of it is worth the short term financial hit? Uh, and any other thoughts on this crazy mistake by the house? I mean, mostly I love the guy who bet the over to throw the books off the scent. Mm. I mean, talk about a team player. That's just fantastic. <laughs> That's uh, sticking it to the man, right? I, I get, get that feeling about that. Um, but, you know, for some of our earliest podcasts, we had on some professional bettors who told us there's opportunity for an amateur better who really knows their lesser known sport, you yeah. know, maybe better than the, the line maker does. Uh, now, even though golf is among the more popular sports, I do see some mid event lines that I have exploited uh, because to my shame, I watched a hell of a lot of golf on the weekends. So, you know, kudos to those who made some modest profits here. Uh, I do wonder, though, if I suddenly out of the blue tried to bet 500 bucks on this game, what would have happened? You know, <laughs> I, I once got a call from my credit card company and a representative asked if I knew anyone in Las Vegas named Michael Kaur because there were several transactions involving him. I said, no, I don't know who that is, but my wife was in Las Vegas that week on business, so I'd look into it. Well, neither the rep nor I realized that, of course, there's a shopping excursion at Michael Kors, mm. uh, who apparently sells shoes or dresses or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, so there was nothing untoward there. Well, uh, nothing uh, illegal anyway. Uh, so in this case, I don't think this blunder reached the casual fan. So it's not the free publicity bonanza of some stunts we've seen. It is encouraging, though, that apparently a big-time bookie does not make a single call or text to somebody deeply embedded in WNBA to ask, look, anything unusual about this game before I set the line? So I think there's money. It's small money, but it's money to be made around the margins. Yeah, I mean, in terms of that line that he set, uh, it's really interesting. Metcalf said he was rushing. He posted the line quickly in the morning in between showering and getting ready for a 9 a.m. meeting. Um, you know, it's not unusual for a better to do something like yeah. that, place a quick bet without thinking about it too long. But for the bookmaker <laughs> to set a line that way is, is pretty eye opening. Um, and especially now, you know, the Olympics are coming up so many sports you can't possibly be an expert in. There's just no way to set every single line carefully, which I guess is a big part of why books borrow lines from each other. They see what another book says and they just copy it. That's understandable. And that's why a bunch of other books were also in the 240s or 250s for a game that finished in the 170s. But uh, very interesting that uh, in speaking to Purdom, uh, Rex Byers from Superbook said they actually took more money on the over than the under. I guess once the line dropped, people thought there was value in the over. Um, I don't, so kind of crazy that even in a situation like this, some books came out ahead uh, and, and, and good for Matt Metcalf for owning up to the error, I guess, after you screw up like that and cost the bosses a little money. It's smart to do some media interviews and get the sports book and the casino some press, at least. Um, I think this is probably a good mistake for Circa in the long run, as the, the public uh, who reads this article might now think, you know, they can look hard, find some soft lines and win. And occasionally they can, but most people will lose money trying. Yeah, I mean, I think any of us who, who know people who are fans of kind of obscure sports, mm -hmm. uh, we might want to clue them in that they they can take a wager or two or at least look at the lines. Right. Because, uh, you know, I have a friend who's into darts. Right. So uh, darts is available in New Jersey. You can bet on it. It's mostly British stuff. But um, 
they know a lot about it. And if they look, they might see, are you kidding me? Five to one, the guys like, should be even money. There's money to be made. This is a real wake up call. Again, we were told this previously, but it didn't really hit home until this one. Because WNBA is not, you know, darts, right? I mean, it's a lot less obscure. And yet, you know, from that experience, and again, what I see in golf after two rounds, somebody is, you know, 18 to one and they're only three shots back. And, you know, I know that they, you know, burned the cup on uh, five putts the day before or whatever, uh, and or the rounding into form, whatever it may be. And I, I'm making a little money on that. And uh, they made money here. So I'm sure there are sports bettors out there who are deliberately focusing on more obscure sports because it's easier to win for sure. Yeah, well, you might remember uh, we had uh, Adam Levitan, uh, who's a, mostly a daily fantasy expert on the podcast eh, a little over a year ago, I'll say, uh, to talk about the XFL. Uh, and he basically was saying that even though he uh, you know, gets a lot of his side work, media work, and all that sort of stuff, talking about the NFL from week to week, in terms of where he's most profitable, it's WNBA. XFL, uh, NBA preseason, stuff like that. That's where, you know, you, you can't really get rich. Any, any pro sports better will tell you, you can't really get rich long-term betting NFL games against the spread. There's just the, the books have it down to a, a science, but uh, it's all about finding some of these lesser sports where you're willing to work harder and, and where you might know more than the guy making the lines, uh, as was the case with uh, people who were really tuned into what was going on with the WNBA All-Star game. Yeah, my 59% uh, NFL picking uh, <laughs> success in 2019 is sort of canceled out by my 50% results in 2018 and 2020 combined. So, yeah, I thought I had something there, but before and after, maybe not so much. So I'm a little a little ahead of the lifetime on that anyway. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Just when you think you're hitting a lull in the sports calendar with the NBA season ending, it turns out you're not hitting a lull at all because the Olympics are about to begin. Opening ceremonies for the Tokyo Games, delayed from 2020 due to COVID, are scheduled for Friday as we all cross our fingers and hope for minimal COVID interference. Joining us now to provide his insights is Mike Cantor, an Olympics researcher for NBC and a TV graphics operator as well. Mike, welcome to Gamble On. Thank you so much, Eric. Great to be here. So before we drill down on any of the specific sports or athletes, more of a big picture question to start. Uh, the American Gaming Association released data this week saying about 20 million people plan to bet on the Tokyo Games. It'll be the most bet on Olympics ever in the U.S. No surprise, since legal sports betting has spread significantly since the last Olympics. Should we expect that to have any impact at all on NBC's coverage? Like, will we hear talk of betting odds and, and in your researching are you looking up odds and favorites and factoring that sort of thing into your notes? Uh, first, I think they're going to be the most watched in addition to the most bet on. Betting could play a part in that. Obviously, if you're betting on a game, you're going to want to watch it. Right. Uh, so let me just put this out here as a disclaimer. You know, I've worked for NBC. I love my time there, but I don't, I'm not working there currently. I don't know ah. what their plans are. I don't have any current behind the scenes info okay so this is all just coming from the gut okay uh, i don't think you're going to see much about betting or about the odds on tv just because 
there are so many things to cover in the Olympics, you know, even for like a basketball or a soccer, there are players you've never heard of. There are rules changes from, you know, other events, you know, sometimes they have to explain what a sport is like or how the rules work. So I just feel like there's going to be too much going on to really talk about betting a lot, but will the odds affect coverage? Absolutely. I, I am sure that there are a lot of people at NBC who are, looking at the odds and seeing who the favorites are and who might be able to pull an upset and saying, all right, this is something that we can put on TV that might be unexpected, but it'll be interesting to people because there's, you know, some underdog who might surprise everybody. Yeah. It almost, as, as you're talking there, I'm thinking it probably makes a researcher's job a little bit easier to have those odds to refer to and just sort of know who are regarded in the as the favorites, especially in some events that you might otherwise not have much insight to. Some of the more obscure sports, it probably provides a nice guidepost for the for the broadcasters and the researchers. I would think. Absolutely, and I certainly certainly looked at the odds for a lot of events. Uh, yeah, in researching uh, this list that I that I have done, that's a. Uh, just been published on Slate, where I go through every event uh, in the Olympics. I definitely looked at the odds for a lot of them. Uh, the list is based on how exciting I think events going to be. How you know are there intriguing Americans competing? So, Katie Ledecky swimming. You know, maybe some of the events don't rank too high in the list because she's going to dominate, and it's not so much fun to watch when you know you know what the result is going to be. But there are definitely times where I looked at the odds and thought oh, this is going to be an interesting event. There are a number of people clumped together. Nobody's quite sure who's going to win. And that makes for exciting television. Yeah, I, I want to ask a question that's, a, I think, a researcher's dream, which is uh, DraftKings has an over-under on U.S. gold medals at 42 and a half. And I assume that about 100.8% of people will bet the over because <laughs> who's going to bet the under in the U.S., right? I mean, that would be kind of weird. You got to actively root against Americans to win gold medals to to win your money. So True. Uh, that that being said, uh, 42 and a half is that how does that compare to past years? And also, are the number of events available this year comparable to previous years to where this bet actually makes any sense? Or uh, are we being fools if we actually bet it like I did on the podcast last week? <laughs> I I saw one prediction this morning that said they were only going to win 40, which just blew my mind. Uh, I, I was surprised at seeing 42 and a half. I absolutely, I would take the over in a heartbeat. I'm very confident in that. I mean, crazy things happen, but in the last two games, the U S has had 46 golds each time. So that seems like a good number to shoot for 46, which obviously you've even got some, some leeway from 42 and a half, but I think it's going to be higher. And the difference is something you just alluded to, which is that there are, 33 more events this year than there were in 2016. Oh. So that's over 10%. 2016 has 306, 2021 has 339. So a few of those I think are US gimmies. Yeah, like I just mentioned Katie Ledecky, she's basically getting a bonus gold medal for an event that didn't exist in 2016, but she has the 10 fastest times ever. Nobody's going to catch her. The, the U.S. women's three-on-three basketball team, you know, and that's certainly, we were talking about TV coverage. That's something you're going to see on TV because it's a new sport and it's America. We love hoops. I think you're going to see the U.S. coast to an easy victory and that's, you know, a bonus gold medal. So 
I would certainly say that the over is likely. Uh, I think another reason is that you, when you have a host nation for the Olympics, they usually get a huge edge. If you look at, for example, how many more golds China won when the Olympics were in Beijing and the Olympics before or after. But I think that's going to be a dulled bit this year uh, because of COVID. Uh, you know, Japan isn't going to have all those fans screaming in the stands. And I think that's going to kind of blunt their advantage a bit. So maybe some things where Japan was going to sneak in a gold medal winner, maybe they don't anymore, and maybe it stays with the U.S. Yeah, you, you got me into my uh, get-off-my-lawn uh, mode. Uh, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember Mark Spitz winning seven gold medals when I was a kid in swimming. And it occurred to me then, and it occurs to me still all these years later, that if you can win seven gold medals in the same sport, then clearly there are too many events in your sport. Because it, like everything, that's one thing if Carl Lewis can win across all kinds of track and field events. Yeah. That's great. I think, you know, I don't care if you win 20 gold medals, if you're great at everything, it's fantastic. But the idea that, you know, a swimmer gets to win seven gold medals and pretty much everybody else can only win maybe two if they're lucky, three, you know, diving has too many also. But And, uh, and we, just, there are definitely, you know, you look at Katie Ledecky, you look at Caleb Dressel, those two, just those two swimmers could bring home eight gold medals, uh, you yeah, know. I mean, Here's how it works. You got you got a swimming pool, right? You got a sprint, which is, you know, one time around or whatever. You got a middle distance like the running, you know, like a mile and a marathon. You got to go 20 times, whatever. Those are the three. That's it. You don't get <laughs> you don't get seven. I don't care how you get there. Like, oh, the breaststroke, the backstroke, whatever. No, it doesn't matter. You can go any way you want. You can go upside down. You can go underwater. You can you can jump around. I don't care what you do. A to B. Get there. Just get there. there. How fast you get there. It doesn't matter to me, but that's just me. In 2016, there were 14 freestyle swimming events. Not swimming, just freestyle swimming. And they've added two more this time. Wow. I'm, I'm renaming that. It's not a get off my lawn rant. That is the get, o- get out of my pool rant. Uh, trademarked by uh, John Brennan there. <laughs> um, so focusing on, on another athlete who has a chance to win several gold medals, or at least several medals, uh, Simone Biles. She's the biggest star in any individual sport in these Olympics, from what I can tell. I imagine a lot of people will be wagering on gymnastics for the first time in their lives in the next couple of weeks. Um, however, I don't see odds anywhere yet for her events. Uh, so you set the odds, Mike. How prohibitive a favorite is Biles? for the all around women's gold. Uh, and, and you mentioned just that you expect these to be the highest rated Olympics uh, on TV ever. Would you expect women's gymnastics to get the highest TV ratings of any event at the games? I think she is such a lock for individual all around. I, you'd have to put her at like minus 2,500 or something like that. Wow. You'd have to, you'd have to give her crazy odds to lose the all around. I, I mean, I think she's basically a lock for four golds. I think she's got team all around individual and then vault and floor. Uh, and then balance beam might be a fifth. You know, the, the thing about Simone Biles is that some gymnasts could have the best meet of her life and just not even come close to being as good as Simone. You, you would need, you know, a below average Simone Biles and the best meet of a different gymnast's career just for the other gymnast to possibly beat her. Wow. You know, when you look at those individual events, you know, she could have a bad vault. She could fall on the floor exercise. Maybe she loses those goals, but she's just so much higher than everybody else that she's just, she's not losing the individual, individual all around. And as far as your, your question about, is she going to be the most watched? I think absolutely. I think women's gymnastics are going to be 
particularly highly rated. I mean, she's a, you know, she's a once in a lifetime, not just athlete, but draw, you know, everybody knows who Simone Biles is, even if you can't name another gymnast. Right. Uh, <laughs> you just my, described me. <laughs> and me. And me. My, well, and, and my, my comparison would be, especially in women's sports would be like Ronda Rousey. You know, I bet there are a lot of people out there who couldn't name a single other female mixed martial artist, but Ronda Rousey could get, you know, a million pay-per-view buys. Right. And the the difference is, you know, Ronda Rousey got kicked in the head and lost. Uh, I don't think Simone Biles can lose. Okay. So she's, she's minus 2,500. The only way she loses is if someone kicks her in the head, which seems uh, unlikely. (laughs) Which hopefully doesn't happen. Right. Okay. Not her sport. I would watch that actually, though. That would be more interesting (laughs) than the actual sport. Although I do admire her very much. I I must say. I'm I'm rooting for her for sure. I, I think Olympic gymnastics are incredible. The athletes are just they blow your mind. I think even if you're not a fan of gymnastics in general, I think you watch Simone Biles and she'll turn you into a fan. Okay. And uh, I got a question about uh, kind of new sports that might be interesting. You were you're talking about what, what uh, you went sport by sport, literally for your list, which is amazing. And uh, I want you mentioned three on three basketball, which definitely is easy enough to watch. It's on TV all the time here anyway, but uh, I noticed skateboarding and surfing are two of the newer sports. Uh, are those uh, to me, and I'm not a big Olympics fan, as you may have figured out, out, but you know, I, I could watch that. You know, it's kind of fun to you know watch guys jump around and do uh, you know flips in the air with skateboards. And surfing is just very relaxing. They're out on the ocean and the waves. I mean, kind of cool. So uh, are those? And I guess what makes a, a sport interesting, as you mentioned, is how competitive it is. So if the U.S. is going to have the top ten surfers, it's a little less interesting than if uh, you know, just, for instance, Japan maybe or, or some country we don't think of is actually great at surfing. So are, are either those sports going to likely be get much? TV coverage, do you think? And are they compelling from a competitive standpoint? Uh, I would say both. I think they are both mm-hmm. compelling and you will see a lot of them. Uh, I, you know, we, we talked about three three on three hoops. I mean, it's mm-hmm. such an obvious ad for television. You know, it's half court basketball. Everybody, every kid has played <laughs> half court basketball. I think you're going to see a lot of baseball and softball. Uh, so th- as a quick aside, uh, the last time those were in the Olympics was 2008, and the IOC basically took them out because not enough countries cared. Uh, Japan pressed for them to get back in the games, but they're not on the games for 2024, or on the <clears> schedule. <throat> so this is your last time to see baseball and softball, and we're America. Of course, those are sports we're going to watch. Um, the other new ones, I think sport climbing is a curiosity that's kind of, it's harder to explain. But like skateboarding and surfing, like you said, those will absolutely be on TV. Uh, and sport, I think they'll be sport climbing the rock climbing thing that I've yeah. seen on TV. Okay. Yeah, uh, uh, they might want to it's... call it rock climbing. That would kind of help. But you know, just <laughs> <laughs> well, see, the thing is, they're not climbing rocks; they're climbing walls. No. That's the difference. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mine's, mine's still better. <laughs> I. You could make a good argument, uh, but I, I think I think skateboarding and surfing and also freestyle BMX is new. Like they've had BMX racing, but this is the first time where they're you know doing tricks. Uh, I think people are used to seeing those in the X Games. I think those are sports that you know you walk down the street and you see people skateboarding or doing bike tricks. So I think those are things that people are going to see a lot of over the next couple of weeks. 
All right. Really interesting stuff, Mike. I, I don't know if I, if you got John any more excited uh, for the Olympics or, or <laughs> not. Bit. You certainly got you got me a little more excited. Looking forward to a few more things. Um, everyone who's listening can follow Mike on Twitter at Cantor Olympics. That's C-A-N-T-E-R Olympics. Um, and of course, check out his article on Slate ranking uh, all the uh, listing. Is it, is it list? Is it ranking? Uh, I guess uh, is, explain exactly is, what the article is. It is ranking all 339 events. Wow. One by one <laughs> it is right. it's i basically wrote a thesis <laughs> okay <laughs> so if you want to read mike's thesis uh, check that out on slate.com uh mike thanks so much for joining us on the podcast thank you so much it was great to be here two men, two men. ten thousand dollars will they run it up or blow it all it's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll Our mini hot streak has ended in a close but no cigar kind of week for us. We only had one winning wager. It was my sort of hedge with the Bucks plus four and a half points in game five. That won us $100, but it was a hedge against the $100 I bet a few weeks ago on Phoenix to win the title. That lost. And your $120 bet, John, on the series to go seven games also lost. Uh, my boxing bet lost two. I had Jermel Charlo by KO at plus 250 odds for 40 bucks. Wait till you hear what the result was, John. A 12 round draw. Uh, <laughs> would have paid 18 to one. Uh, but of course, this time I didn't bet the draw. And uh, lastly, your golf bets on the tournament, formerly known as the British Open. Uh, this is where we really came close with nothing to show for it. You had $20 on Victor Hovland at 25 to one. He finished a very respectable 12th and you had $20 on Louis Oosthuizen. He was at the top of the leaderboard all tournament, but faltered on Sunday and finished tied for third. So when all was said and done, we lost $200 on the week. We're now in the red by $887. We also have $1,442 on holding futures bets. So that leaves us with $7,761 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Yeah, so I'm going to be winding down my personal golf season next month. Uh, they can play all they want from September to January, and unfortunately they will, but I don't care. But uh, we're still going. And uh, here's the feeble 3M Open in Minnesota this week. Yeah, brutal. And the afternoon card that I'm focusing on is really brutal. All the interesting golfers played Thursday morning. Uh, but give me Stuart Sink, 47-year-old and a renaissance beyond belief. I cannot believe... I'm going to go 40 for him to be in the top 40 at even money, which is amazing. And give me 50 on sync at plus 230 for a top 20. Uh, you know, I don't know how the hell he's revived his career, but he's done it. And also give me Sadoshi Kadaira, uh, 50 for top 40 at plus 175. This is kind of the uh, expert sleeper favorite this week. And uh, I don't always agree with their, uh, their choices, but I do this week, Kadaira. Okay, that is my first time ever hearing that name, uh, but uh, all right. Um, I'm going to start out with a quick boxing bet, also involving some names I'm sure you've never heard. Uh, Friday night, the Showtime boxing series Showbox celebrates its 20th anniversary with a triple header, and the main event is listed as close to a pick'em. Fox bet has Isaiah Zewopstein, a minus 175 favorite over Calvin Hot Sauce Henderson, who is a plus 125 dog. Uh, I'm not a fan of hot sauce. It does bad things to my stomach and i think uh, i think steen is a little more of a favorite than that over henderson in this fight so at minus 175 odds let's bet 140 dollars to win 80 dollars on steen to prevail and if this one ends in a draw 
I promise to punch a hole in the wall in frustration. Nice. All right. Well, our expert, Mike Cantor, tells me that the U.S. is really good at surfing. So I'm going to trust him. And I'm going with John John Florence, $50 at plus 600 to win the gold medal and to, to wax the two Brazilian surfing co-favorites. See what I did there with the surfing. <laughs> yes, I like that. <laughs> All right. Uh, our first ever surfing bet. Very exciting. Yes. And, and I guess we've made it through. Uh, the pre-Olympics period without either of us betting on Bruce Springsteen's daughter. I did think about it and then forgot to look up the odds. So, uh, oh, well. Um, we may have time. Who knows? Maybe yeah, week. maybe in real life, but not here on the podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, for my second bet, um, you know, NBA is over. Uh, the day-to-day of betting MLB hasn't captured my interest much, uh, although I did just place a real-life MLB future on the Giants to hold off the Dodgers and win that division. Still getting plus 400 on a team with a two-game lead seemed like good value. Considered that one for the bankroll, but we're already invested enough in rooting for Dodgers losses, so I'm not going there. Uh, so instead, a couple of NFL futures bets, both on the Jacksonville Jaguars. First, I like under their win total of six and a half. I looked at their schedule, had a hard time finding seven games they'll win. They should make some strides with a rookie quarterback, but it's rare that you actually do much winning with a rookie QB. At most sports books, you have to pay minus 143 juice on under six and a half wins, but FanDuel has standard minus 110 juice. So let's bet $165 to win 150 on that. And then my other bet is a player prop. Uh, that rookie QB, Trevor Lawrence, DraftKings has a prop on his rushing touchdowns. Over three and a half is even money. At first glance, three or four rushing touchdowns for a starting quarterback sounds about right. Uh, I looked up last year's stats. Ten quarterbacks went over that number last year. The rest didn't. Even with an extra game this season, 17 games, you know, three and a half seems a reasonable number. But Trevor Lawrence figures to be among the better QBs at scoring on the ground. In his last two seasons at Clemson, in 25 games, he scored 17 rushing touchdowns. Even if you cut that productivity in half, uh, he still gets there easily in 17 NFL games. You know, if he stays healthy, that's always a, a question when you take an over on a player prop. But I love this one. Let's bet $150 to win $150. Mm-hmm. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Mike Cantor. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. You know, Eric, there are there are pop culture references to the summer of 44, the summer of 69, but I want to take us all back to the summer of 92 and the triple cast. Yes. Mm. At the time, I was covering some pro sports for the Bergen record, but I was still months away from beginning my eight year odyssey of covering the Jersey Nets and Jason Williams entire tenure with the team spanning those same years. So one of my jack-of-all-trades beats at the time was covering sports on television, which is just becoming a thing in the New York media at the time. And along comes the 1992 Summer Olympics, and NBC and Cablevision decided to take a big gamble and try to convince sports fans to pay like $100 to $200 to get two weeks of three premium channels that would air events live from Barcelona, Spain. I remember thinking this was nutty, but I'm not a businessman, and I attended a major press conference in Manhattan, I remember, and all the suits and the swells there told me everything, everyone would pay for this, we swear... I just wasn't persuaded. Now, one of my bosses who was, shall we say, frugal, kind of stunned me by suggesting that I sign up for this triple cast thing. 
red, white, and blue channels. One was swimming and track and field. I remember one was team sports, and I guess the other one was everything else. Um, I signed up because I was reimbursed for it, and I watched some of it because I was paid to do it. But the, the channel aired live events from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m., and they looped in that same 12 hours in the overnight. But if you miss the live results in the pre-internet world, and hard to believe kids, but that's what it was, it was incredibly easy to not know the results. So you could watch the slickly and sometimes over-slickly NBC tape primetime version instead. So it wasn't working. So last minute, NBC tried to lure viewers to buy, say, a $29.95 one-day pack to see, say, the Dream Team live in, in a metal game. But it was such a different world back then. So it turned out that in 1992, NBC and Cablevision took a big bath because they completely misread the public. You know, a few years later, the geniuses of the New York Times, Washington Post, and the other biggest U.S. newspapers told us that there's no need to charge for the online version of the product that people paid for as a newspaper. That sounded really stupid to me, too. And, well, look what happened. <laughs> and then years after that, many billion-dollar financial institutions plowed money into a condo and golf course project in those garbage dumps in the Meadowlands that Sopranos fans are familiar with. That, too, struck me as incredibly stupid to think that people would pay a half million dollars uh, for a condo with those views of the Jersey Turnpike, complete with radon detectors and all sorts of paperwork required to sign your life away before you moved in. But, uh, you know, not even a future president could salvage that project before it went bankrupt. So uh, the lesson I've learned from all this is that, while I am still convinced that I would not be a very good businessman. You know, oftentimes the supposedly good businessmen aren't very smart either. And with that, uh, USA, USA, USA. And until next time, gamble on.